Nelson, um, one of the um, more recent developments uh, that's come out of FIDIC, um, alongside the FIDIC 17, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in a moment, is this idea of the golden principles. And um, I think it's, it, it's fairly commonly accepted that, um, and this I guess is quite flattering, but I guess quite irritating as well for, for you at, at FIDIC, is that the FIDIC form has become a, uh, a benchmark, a, a standard for different forms of construction contract, whether it be a, a classic building contract in the red book, a design and build in the yellow, or a turnkey PC model in the silver book. They're, they're, they're sort of taken as the benchmarks that, uh, for those forms of contract internationally, um, which means that people then start tinkering with them to try and, and try and make them fit the risk profile that their respective clients uh, require. My understanding is that golden principles are driven out of a frustration around that because obviously by fiddling with the risk allocation you are effectively turning the turning away from what was considered by Philip to be a reasonable common sense approach to risk allocation. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about how uh, you know with that background how you got to the point of focusing on Okay, if I, I think the question from James is, you know, how are we implementing and how do we get to that point? Is that correct? I, I think your your introduction, James, said this in, in the sense that uh, uh, for those who are listening, they will know that it's a 1999 version of the Rainbow Switch. And we put the 20, 2017 document out, uh, and which means technically it's close to nearly 18, 20 years in between. Uh, and and we only produce a new version of the document when we think uh, that there is a need to do so, uh, because it's important that uh, we let things bed in, we learn from experience of the past, and we see what significant changes need to be put in place. Uh, and we try and canvas the industry on those changes that is absolutely important. Otherwise, there is no need to produce a new document. Uh, but you guys who are in legal profession, uh, the need to try and test things is very important. And it's not just tested on the construction, but actually on the after construction in litigation and precedent and all the issue and, and, and legal framework balance is very important. What came out of that particular exercise, James, was a clear recognition of the point you raised at the beginning of your introduction, that a lot of people abuse the contract uh, and they abuse the contract from the standpoint, not that they do it deliberately, uh, but they see from the point of view that different clients have different risk appetite. And therefore, you know, you need to customize the risk appetite to individual clients. And in so doing, sometimes if you have inexperienced people being given that task, they don't look at the consequential impact of making a change to one clause, what it means into the change of the clauses that goes through, particularly on the risk allocation. And if you understand that, you know, from the standpoint of the consulting engineer, they have to worry about their professional indemnity insurance, okay? The contractor have to worry about their own issue about contract construction or insurance. Uh, the investor will look at the issue about their bond and they look at, you know, what insurance they put in. What we find out is that when you look at that profile of risk management, it was obvious that there are certain part of the fitting standard contract that should at all costs, come what may be retained without being, you know, tampered with. And the reason for that is very simple, that when you start messing about with the general condition, 
you change the balance of the risk allocation in the basic contract. And therefore, if you are not savvy in using that contract, you come into it and you get stumbled down the line because one part of the clause is being changed. That is the fundamental part of why we do that. And I can pick up some examples where people take off the, you know, the dispute resolution clause, and sometimes they take the jurisdiction issue out of it, and sometimes they change all sorts of responsibility and they mess about with the document to the extent that the, the integrity of the document itself is being questioned. James, that is the basis of looking at those golden principles. The question you may ask is that how is it being taken in the industry and people reacting very well? I always start with what I know for sure. Uh, the seven multilateral development banks who are doing nearly one trillion of investment, they all bought it. They like they, they, they like that. And they insist that all borrowers all over the world will take that on board. That's why they signed up to the Philip contract document. That they're absolutely, absolutely adamant about that. Uh, they, they like the, even though the dispute, you know, a uh, uh, resolution, you know, uh, clause in that area. And I think we've done very well to be able to persuade them. But going forward, my view is that it's been positively received in the industry. Uh, we are talking about it and we are taking feedback. And we haven't had any negative feedback. In fact, the industry has been saying, this is a good idea because we now know these are the area that if you touch, it will change the balance of risk allocation. And therefore, it's much easier for us to price. If the client so wish to change those resallocation, we can price it in. Yes, no, I, I think I think the golden principles are an interesting way. I mean, it may be the only way, really, realistically, that you can stop or make people pause for thought, I think perhaps is more 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 likely before they start tinkering with the risk allocation. I wanted to ask you a question about that. As a, as a disputes lawyer, um, do you think that uh, as a result of the way in which, particularly in the Middle East, uh, people have, have, have shifted and pushed risk far, further onto the contractor uh, by modifying a FIDIC, FIDIC form, do you think that has had, had a consequence of increasing the amount of disputes? I agree profoundly that you know the document as it is um, is a balanced risk allocation um, because people have tried and tested they know exactly they know the implication if there is issue precedent has been set as we call it under the common law and the interpretation of it and you've got example of what you can benchmark when there is an issue you know or it's a simple issue about definition of claims or all of that are already been said um, do I think amend the contract increase the probability of dispute yes and the reason for that is very simple people come under the premise that we know the fini contract as a standalone and and they at the bidding stage you know james you know like every entrepreneur they just want to win the project they don't spend a lot of time reading that they just identify the few risks that are so visible to them but the other ones they don't identify and then once they want the project they forget the contract and effectively go into construction and then issue comes up, they think it's business as usual, but it isn't business as usual. And at that point, you have dispute coming through, and then you have to find a way to deal with it. Uh, so from my point of view, I think I always said, you know, uh, you, people get the consequences of what they play in. 
I started my career as a contractor. I was trained as a contractor. In fact, I remember in the early days, which is the bad days, the first thing they teach you is to see where the engineers made a mistake and make sure you can actually go for a claim as soon as you win the job. In answer to your question, the less modification, the better. And I would say that, wouldn't I? Because I think it's good for the industry and it's all about you know what you know don't hurt. But once you go into uncharted territory, then you are buyers beware. And that would be my comment in that area. Well, it's probably a good, good chance for me to hand over to Harith, actually, who's, I think, just chomping at the bit to, to get involved, because uh, this, this is his area, uh, editing and modifying FIDIC forms. So over and to you, Harith. Just, just on that topic we were discussing, do, do, you, do you think, Nelson, the pressure on contractor profit margins and this drive by clients to achieve maximum risk transfer. Do you, do you not think that causes a sort of toxic outcome, which is what's led us to the position with Carillion, for example, in the UK? Um, how much time have you got, Harriet? I, I was on BBC, <laughs> I, was on, I was a radio station at 4 a.m. in the morning when, you know, Carillion went bust. And that saddened me because I started my career with Tarmac, which became Carillion. Okay? It saddened me. Yes, in answer to you, which I think when company gets so big and you are driven by the shareholders and you have, you know, CEO and CFO being too close to each other, driven by the bonus, uh, don't think about the implication and you have a growth agenda which is not sustainable. That's the consequence of what you say, in answer to your question. Uh, and I think, you know, we can spend a whole day on this debate. My view was, is that, you know, um, is our industry geared up for that sort of environment? I don't know. I don't know. Um, and, and I question, even in the consulting industry, where you have companies now owing 60,000 and 80,000 and different geography, I think this is equally applicable, but it's more transparent in the contracting industry. One, the margin is very low. Two, the risk is very high. Three, they have fragmented industry where you really can't actually pinpoint until the project is got to an end. Four, you have an issue of front end payment with the client can actually pay money sitting in the account. You think you have false profit coming through. And then when you close out the project, you need to recover from that. So there's a lot of issues that goes in the contracting issue. And I think that, you know, the construction industry needs to be actually upfront. If it's a, an open book contract and you agree what the profit margin is going to be, and you are sensible in the contractual format that you adopt, and you're transparent in approach, and your supply chain, then you take all the good parties like you know, project bank accounts and all those issues. If you can take that on board, we may be able to reduce that tension because a contractor that runs you know two, three percent profit, you only need to run into trouble on one project in a year. You screw, pardon my French. Okay, you do that for two years, you are further you know in trouble. So it's very important that you know when we look at the margin in our business then you have to look at that and then look at the risk and appetite that you have. And what I've seen is not just in UK, but all over the world, is major contractor continues to operate with a low profit margin, bad management or incapable or you know, inexperienced management people driven by the shareholders and ultimately call collapse of those companies to the detriment of the employee, to the detriment of the employer, and the detriment of the industry. I don't think it's good for the industry. So please don't put me on my soapbox. This is my topic. You know, I think, you know, we can spend a whole day on that. Uh, but in summary, I do believe that construction industry needs to come together, 
to pay appropriate you know, reward for the risk we are taking. Uh, contractors need to move from the two, three percent business into a sustainable profit business. Clients need to move from the idea of two percent, three percent is sustainable because it's not sustainable. And, and government department, who is the biggest client, need to work from the idea of compliance on the issue and actually pay a reasonable reward for the risk that people is taking. I, if I have my money, and if I have a choice, <clears throat> whether I put it in the construction industry, or I put it in the technology industry, or I put it in pharmaceutical industry, I know what, what I'm going to get. And the question that we really need to address that is, if we want to incentivize young people to come to this profession, we need to make the profession attractive and sustainable and not going through the boom and the bust that we're going through. And I do believe it's not just purely in UK, it's all over the world. There's so many contractors that I know in Africa, they've gone bust. Morian Robert, massive contractor in South Africa, gone bust. You go through all the big construction companies in UK that used to work overseas, they've all gone. None of them are working internationally. You know, most of them cannot take the risk and the margin that you get in the international market is not down to the consulting engineer. It comes down to pricing and it comes down to the culture of the industry. And I do strongly believe that that culture of the industry needs to change. If it does not change, then you will get what we have. I say to people, if you pay peanut, you get monkeys. So construction industry needs to wake up and actually said, no, we are gonna go for this construction project. It's going to be 6% profit margin. I'll lay it on the table. I'll be transparent, I'll be efficient, and the client need to buy that. The question is, if I take that risk, am I entitled to that reward? I think it's a reasonable question. And unless we start asking that question, we're going to be in trouble in the construction industry. But I do believe that Felix is advocating pay appropriate price and use the right form of contract and reward your supply chain accordingly and don't try to package risk to people who are not capable of managing that risk. Package the risk to people who have the bandwidth to manage the risk. Yeah, it's an ongoing problem in the industry. I mean, you you see it. I mean, it, it, it clearly generates work for disputes lawyers. Uh, that That's clear. But you do sometimes see the same patterns of behavior, the same problems on projects every time that lead to disputes. And very often, it's the it starts with the procurement process and a sort of race to the bottom pricing approach, use of lump sums where perhaps and turnkey type risk allocation where perhaps a different risk allocation would be more appropriate, particularly on very high risk projects.